Welcome to Cold Springs. My name is David, and I'm one of the pastors here. Very glad to see everybody here today on this beautiful day. Some of you did not get the message. Today is not Jersey Sunday. Um, it's like two weeks from now, but we'll let you come anyway. We'll let you be here. That's fine. Hey, I'm curious. Um, as uh, Ben was leading us and the worship team was leading us in that song um, about the faithfulness of God, and, and he invited us to stop and just to think on that. Does anybody here uh, grateful for the faithfulness of God in, in your life? Um, I want to I give you a moment um, to just share where you're at very briefly. What is something that you are grateful for the faithfulness of God? I'll start with it. As I was sitting there, I was thinking a year ago, my life was chaos. I, I, it, um, and it had to do with our parenting journey of you know, uh, foster kids and some of our adoptive kids and all these things that were going on. And I was really, uh, I, I was, uh, the stress was killing me. Literally, I think it was taking years off of my life, days off my life. And God, you know, I look back and I think, okay, God was faithful in that. He sustained me. Um, and I look and see the blessings and his goodness all through that. And I'm just, I'm just, that song is so powerful to remind us of his goodness, that God is good. Does anybody have a brief thing that you can share of where have you experienced the goodness of God? This is an impromptu thing, opportunity. Just uh, speak loudly and I'll repeat it. So, um, Yes. That is so awesome. I'm thankful that when I take my eyes off of him, off of God, he does not take his eyes off of me. Isn't that so? That is so powerful. It is true. God's faithfulness is not dependent upon our faithfulness. Good. Somebody else. Yes. Great. God surrounds me with people who love me and love him, and that he shows his love through them in my life. Um, that's great. Thanks. Yes, Susie. Just the way he always provides. And my mind goes back when I crossed the border and I was experiencing just this 38 years back. And he ha always has given me food, love, family, friends. He's just so faithful. Yeah. Yeah. So Susie's saying how God has always provided for her. And uh, 38 years ago of crossing the border from Mexico into the United States, um, which is a phenomenal story. If you ever get a chance, ask her about that. Um, it wasn't, yeah, anyway. Uh, but just his faithfulness and provision all through um, her life. And, and that, is, that is so true. Yeah. Somebody else? All the way there in the back, Yes. Awesome. So there's a group of uh, guys, I think, I don't know, there's about 15 or so on this Bible reading group, and I uh, invited Bob because I knew he was a notorious sinner, far from God and needing <laughs> Jesus. Um, 
who had a very, has a very righteous wife and needed all the help she could get. So, um, and uh, Bob just shared that through connecting through that reading and Bible app that uh, it's really brought him back to consistently reading scripture and encountering. Thank you, Bob. I love you. You know that. So, Matt. Awesome. Great. So Matt's niece has um, had uh, a struggle uh, becoming pregnant and was pregnant, lives in Colorado, and um, had to be evacuated because of the Boulder Fire, a winter fire, which is so unusual. We've had a couple of those. And the home was protected and uh, a healthy baby boy uh, was born to their family. And so yeah, God's goodness there. So great. Wonderful. Yes. So thankful for God's daily guidance and his wisdom and counsel in your life. And um, I didn't hear the last part you said there. Oh, through the Holy Spirit? Yeah, great. Yeah. Yeah, through the Holy Spirit. Yes, awesome. Thanks. Wonderful. Um, there's lots of good stuff, right? Um, and just to, to pause and to, to take a moment to be thankful um, to write those down, it can be a really good thing because uh, sometimes we go through, remember that pendulum that, uh, swing of life, that we're on the um, downside of things and we need to be reminded of his goodness and so we can go back and, and to read those. So thank you for, for sharing those things. Uh, let's just uh, let's pray again before we open up uh, the, uh, the Bible this morning. Jesus, thank you that you are good, that you are faithful. Thank you that we can come together as a community of people who each has our own story, who each has our own um, story of struggles and challenges and difficulties and obstacles that we have faced, and yet you are good and faithful in each of those stories, and that you're working that goodness and that faithfulness out in our story right now, wherever we might be in that pendulum swing of life that we're experiencing Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes and ears to see and to hear and to know and to understand the fullness and the greatness of who you are today through your word and through this message, that it might um, move us to live the life that you have called us to live, that we would see this day as the day that you have given us um, to live fully and to engage in life with you and through you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Has anybody here ever wondered what God is up to? <laughs> Maybe the, like the last two years, like, what, what, are you, what, what is God up to? And, um, and you might get this little inkling, and, and then you're like, ah, I'm still not sure. What, you know, what are you up to? What is God up to? Now, here's the good news. Here's the good you know, thing is, is that we can go back to Scripture. We can go back to God's Word, and we can get regrounded in understanding that God is not surprised by our lives or by the world we live in, that God is up to something, that God has a mission, that God has a plan. 
And if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them up. And we're going to look at a, a few scriptures this morning. But I want to start by just looking at this idea of the mission of God. What is God up to? And the first place is a story I'm going to read out of the Gospel of Luke in the New Testament, chapter 19, starting in verse 8. And it's the story of Zacchaeus. You might remember that Jesus is coming in to a town, and everybody's clamoring around to see him. Zacchaeus um, was short. He, was not, he knew he was going to get pushed into the back of the crowd. He wasn't going to be able to see Jesus, so he climbs up into a tree to be able to see it. Um, anybody sing that song when you were in um, Sunday school, right? Uh, yes, I think it was one of the first songs I remember, you know, in my little Methodist church in Huntington, Oregon, uh, learning. And and so Zacchaeus climbs up in that tree, and Jesus sees him, and Zacchaeus has this encounter with Jesus, where he comes to faith in Jesus. He believes in Jesus. And it says in verse 8 of Luke chapter 19, um, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And so Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was the one who um, brought money in, and then he passed it on to the government. And the thing was is that tax collectors within that day were notorious thieves, um, that they overcharged, and they, the way they got paid was is that they skimmed off the top. And so Zacchaeus was a thief, and he had this encounter with Jesus, and it totally transformed his perspective on others and on himself and his relationship with God that moved him to these radical actions of generosity. And then Jesus responds and says, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Now, I made a joke about my friend Bob back there about being a notorious sinner. Um, and, but does anybody here know any notorious sinners? Anybody related to any notorious sinners? No, we won't, you know, uh, sort of go, the camera's not on you on that. Um, the thing about Jesus is, is that what is God up to is God is up to reaching out and loving and showing the power and the grace and the goodness of God, his faithfulness to notorious sinners, to seek and to save those who are lost. So that's one of the things that God is up to. So if you think about your life and you think about the people that you hang around with or are forced to be around with or whatever, Maybe God is in the middle of that because the mission of God is to reach those who are lost. There's another passage, and this was found in Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28. And Jesus is, um, he is taking a teaching opportunity with his disciples. So it's sort of the, the rhythm within Jesus' teaching is, is that the disciples say something stupid, do something stupid, and Jesus comes back and says, you think life is this way, but let me explain to you, this is what the kingdom of God is about. And so here's one of those opportunities. In Matthew uh, 20, verses 25 through 28, Jesus called his disciples together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people 
and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. See that anywhere in the world we live today? Yeah, Scripture sort of is still relevant to the world we live in today, isn't it? But among you, it will be different, Jesus says. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. And then catch this, what Jesus says. He says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what's the mission of God? What is God up to in the world? Well, God is up to sacrificial servanthood that shows the sacrificial giving of Jesus that leads to life, that, that results in us having a relationship with God, with us being reconciled to God. And that's a different message. That's a different life than the world that we live in. Okay, another passage in Matthew chapter 28. Now, this is a passage that you, if you've been around church, you probably are familiar with. It's a great commission. And it's, it's what is God up to and what are we supposed to be up to because it's what, what we're invited to, what Jesus has commanded us, if we're followers of Jesus, that we would follow this commandment. So then the 11 disciples, Matthew 28, verses, I'm going to start in verse 16. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them. Verse 17, listen closely. When they saw him, they worshiped him. Now remember, this is the, these, these are the, the 11 disciples. These are not the 12, you know, um, Judas is betrayed. Because there's 11 disciples, 11 people who are closest to Jesus, who have walked most closely with him, had the most intimate experience, most intimate knowledge. They worshipped him. And then it says, but some of them doubted. Now, we could be really brave, and I could answer, ask the question, has anybody here doubting this morning? Has anybody ever doubted God? Has anybody asked that question with sincere questioning and confusion and doubt about, God, what are you up to? You are in really good company. Because that's the early disciples. That's the people who were closest to Jesus. And do you see sort of this, they worshiped and they doubted. And if you find yourself in that place, which seems like they are opposites in that tension, then you are in good company. And you know what Jesus had to say to them in the midst of they worshiped and doubted, of which Jesus knew? Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Remember that song, The Faithfulness of God, the sharing that we just had the opportunity to do about the faithfulness of God because He is with us. He is with us. And He will never stop being with us in our worship and in our doubt. And doubt is not a reason to not be obedient to Jesus. 
It's a part of our experience. It's a part of our life. So what is the mission? What, what is God up to? God is up to this. God is up to loving and reaching the world that we live in. And we are a part of that. We are an integral part of that. The church is God's plan A for showing the love of God to the world and being the presence of God in the world. And there is no plan B. There is no plan B. It's us. It's, it's the gathered people of God. Congratulations. We're God's plan A. Isn't that pretty cool? You're God's plan A. No plan B. So we've been in this series called The Treasure Principle. And the treasure principle is that we've been going through this over this past month. It's really we've been looking at living beyond survival because that feels a little bit like how we're operating, particularly these last two years within the whole COVID crisis that's been going on within our community and our state, our nation, and around the world that has radically shifted our lives. That in some senses it feels like survival, but but God calls us to go beyond survival, to step into a life of trusting faith that in God's plan, that there is a purpose and you have a purpose. I have a purpose. We have a purpose. Because God has a plan. And then also of, of stepping into a life of trusting faith in God's provision. That God has what we need for us and through us. God has what you need for you and to live out his purpose through you. So we've looked at these different lessons each week. So the first lesson was a, a surrendered life to God results in a treasureful life now and forever. And then the second week was my heart follows my treasure. And the third week was joy is found when I look outside of myself. And then last week it was generosity is how my faith is lived out loud. The generosity is the habit of surrender in my life. Going back up to that first one of our surrendered life to God results in a treasureful life now and forever. So as we come to the end of the series, the question that I have for us is that what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? If we go back to this conviction, this belief that God has a plan. God has a plan for you. That there is a, and, and there is goodness, there is a blessing within that plan. But there is a purpose why you exist, why you are here on this earth. And to be used by God, to be blessed by God, so that that can be poured out to the world around you. God has a plan. So what are you waiting for to live out that plan? What are you waiting for? Now, some of us, I think, and I can definitely be uh, a victim to this, is um, to live the Goldilocks life, right? You know, the Goldilocks life is this, is that I'm not going to do anything until it's just right. Until it's just warm enough. Until it's just the right amount. Until it's just comfortable enough. And then I will do something. 
let me, um, if, if you're living the Goldilocks life right now, let me just tell you this. Let me just sort of burst the bubble, break your whatever, is, is that God doesn't work that way. Because then it's all about you and it's not about God. There's a couple of stories, a couple of examples in the Bible where um, that have always been challenging to me to say, hey, step up, step in, show up right where you are as best you understand to begin to live faithfully for God and whatever he shows you. And one of those is found in the book of Acts, and it's an interesting verse right in the middle of this discussion about Jesus. In Acts chapter 13, verses 32 through 39, um, Paul, or Luke, is, is giving this, um, he's capturing the story about, about, um, about Jesus and who Jesus is. And what Jesus has come to do and tying it back into the Old Testament scriptures and he's making this point about the fact that, that Jesus is not dead, that Jesus is alive, that you can dig up all of Israel and you will never do, find a DNA analysis that will identify the bones of Jesus because he is not dead, he's alive. And then he contrasts that to another person who was a very famous, very important person within the Hebrew um, scriptures, and that is King David. And in verse 36, he says, this is not a reference to David, as it, um, it refers back to a psalm. He says, for after David had done the will of God in his own generation, he died and was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. So, there's this contrast that's going on, right? Between David, who died and his body decayed, and Jesus, who isn't dead, and his body will never decay because it's not in the ground. That he sits at the right hands of God. But the point of here is, is that this sort of little insight about David, that after David had done the will of God in his own generation. And I think that that's a truth for you and for me in our lives, is that we only have our generation. That's when we get to serve. That's when we get to influence here on this earth. Now, we could live for an eternity. We're going to be with God. We have that assurance. We have that promise. But this is the only life that we get to live for this generation. And will we do it? <laughs> will we step up? To it, Well, we live into that. There's another story, and this goes back into the Old Testament, and it's about a woman named Esther. And Esther's example is that um, Esther, uh, if, you, if you read the book of Esther, it's um, set within the ancient kingdoms, and the Jewish people are people, again, who are sort of an occupied people, and I think it's the Medes and the Persians are over, you know, the conquering force at this point. And the king um, has a queen, Vashti, and he throws this elaborate party and brings sort of like everybody. And, you know, and it describes the opulence of this party. It's like the best party ever. I mean, gold goblets that people are drinking out of. You know, it's multiple day. 
Um, everybody who is, uh, anybody who is there, all the important people. Uh, but within the culture of the day, the men are partying here. The, the queen, she throws a party over here. But then one day, the king tells his queen to come and to make her appearance because she was very beautiful. And she refuses. Which makes the king really mad because kings were kings and, you know, and all that stuff. Whether you like it or not, it's the way it was back then. Patriarchal society, right? It's like the guy had all the power. The king had all the power. And so he basically says, you are no longer queen. I'm going to find a new queen. And he finds a new queen, so he's looking for the most beautiful woman in the land. And it's Esther, who is a Jewish young woman. And so Esther becomes queen. And now, as the story lays itself out, what happens is that there is a plot within the, the, the government in order by a particular person to kill all the Jewish people. And here, Esther the Jew is queen. And is she going to stay silent or is she going to speak up, risk her life in order to seek to save her people? And her uncle Mordecai is, is the one who is in the midst of all of this, encouraging her to live out her purpose in her generation. And in Esther 4, verse 13, it says, Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace that you will escape when all other Jews are killed. So don't think that just because you feel like you are surrounded and protected, that nothing's going to happen to you. And he goes on, he says, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. So Esther, whatever you choose, it's not going to stop the purposes of God, but it's going to have a consequence on you and your life. And he continues and says, who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. What are you waiting for? So you might be thinking, well, you know what? I'm just a grandfather. I'm just a grandmother. Who knows if God did not raise you up in this time to be the grandfather, to be the grandmother of godliness that is going to touch your grandkids. Those of you who are teachers, those of you who are administrators in schools, you have one of the hardest jobs that's going on, I think, in, the, in, in, in our world right now. There's so much challenge, so much conflict. My encouragement to you is the word of Mordecai to Esther. Who knows if perhaps you were made that principal, that superintendent, that teacher for just such a time as this. If you're a business owner, if you're an employer, if you're an employee, who knows if perhaps you were made to be in the position you are with the influence that you have, with the resources that you have at your disposal, in your hands, connected to the power of God for just such a time as this. Don't live the Goldilocks life. Things are never going to be good enough, perfect enough, right enough 
to motivate us to action because action requires faith. And what that is, is it's seizing the day. It is living today. Carpe diem, right? You know, the Latin phrase there. Seize the day. So how do we live? If we're going to seize the day, what does that living look like? Well, living is giving. And we go back to Jesus' words about, you know, I, I came not to, to be served, but to serve, to give my life as a ransom for many. Living is giving. Living means having your hope centered on the right thing. We need to have our hope centered on the right thing because we live in the certain and the uncertain, right? Right now, you have the certainty that the chair that you are sitting on is uh, strong enough to hold you, right? That you're not going to end up on the ground. Nobody's sitting there worried, I wonder if this chair is going to hold me. I wonder if I'm going to fall on the ground. You have this sort of certainty when you sat down, okay, the chair is going to hold me. You have the certainty that your taxes are going to go up, right, um, at some point um, here, <laughs> most likely. Sort of that death in taxes thing, you know, um, seems to hold us in, in things. We'll be certain that we'll be tired of politicians and politics and, you know, all of that um, more maybe than we already are. You can be certain that one day you will die. None of us lives forever in this body on this earth. It's not certain what you will have for dinner next week. Pretty highly uncertain. I, I could probably, maybe some of you have, you know, gotten, you know, your month, you know, plan for, for your meals. It's not certain what the stock market will do in the next six months. We've seen that if you pay attention to that. It's here lately. It's not certain what the housing market will do in the next six months. Well, I guess maybe it keeps going up. It's certain that there is there, it is certain that there is a God. It is certain that God loves you passionately. And it's certain that God can hold you and sustain you no matter the other certainties and uncertainties of life. What do you put at the center? The certainty of the faithfulness and love of God is what we need to focus on. I've shared this before, of what we look at is where we will go. It's a, you know, it's, it's, it's a principle, particularly if you're in some sort of motorized vehicle, right? Have you ever been driving down the road and all of a sudden you're distracted, you look over there, all of a sudden your car's going over there? You know, I ride motorcycles and, you know, it's important to look where you want to go, not to where you don't want to go. I did that the other day on my mountain bike. I was like going around this corner and I was like, oh, there's a rock right there. I don't want to hit that rock. And I hit that rock and then I went over and down. And it's like, no, you don't do that. You have to look where you want to go. And so we look at Jesus. We keep our eyes on Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And living is being centered in Jesus, to love Jesus most in our life. So living also means enjoying the blessings of life. And we've been talking about this in this series of the treasure principle about what do we do with our wealth, with the, the, the physical, you know, financial provision that God has given us, with the gifts that we have, with the time that we have. Those three things are, are central, essential gifts that God has given us. So living means enjoying those blessings that we have. If you look at 1 Timothy 6, verses 17, it says, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. 
And then listen to what it says next. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Our trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Now, I think one of the, the biblical principles that we can come and when we look at both the, the, the teaching of Scripture and the, the story of Scripture is that one of the reasons that we're blessed is that we might enjoy those blessings. We, we can be thankful and grateful to God in those. And we've been richly supplied. The Bible says that the right response is to enjoy those blessings that we've been richly supplied with, who richly gives us all that we need. The question then we always have to wrestle with is, do we have enough? I remember uh, a few years back, we went to Ethiopia to visit Esaias or Saba, who is um, a missionary that we support, Ethiopian national, who has developed this wonderful, amazing, powerful, impactful um, discipleship approach um, that is being uh, utilized throughout the continent of Africa. And he has... Um, uh, I think four kids. And so we took like two or three soccer balls to go and to give to the family, uh, these different toys. And so we're presenting these soccer balls. And, and I remember Esaias going, um, I think we gave him two. He says, we only need one. They only need one. We'll give away the other one to somebody else. And it was just sort of this, you know, it's like this cultural slap in the face, right? It's like, hey, you have three kids. They each need their own, right? And and there was this like understanding, it's like, no, they're going to share, this is a blessing for somebody else. Do we have enough? And now here's a really important question, though. How do we enjoy and not lose God in the process? How do we enjoy the goodness and the blessings of the provision of God and not lose God in the process? Uh, one of the, the devotions I'm reading in the Bible app is called New Year, New, you, New Mercies by Paul Tripp. Let me read to you what he writes about this. He says, there's a second thing of equal significance that sin does to us. It causes us to look horizontally for what can only ever be found vertically. So we look to creation for life, hope, peace, rest, contentment, identity, meaning and purpose, inner peace, and motivation to continue. The problem is that nothing in creation can give you these things. Creation was never designed to satisfy your heart. Creation was never designed to satisfy your heart. God's blessings were never designed to satisfy your heart. Creation was made to be one big finger pointing you to the one who alone has the ability to satisfy your heart. Many people will get up today and in some way will ask creation to be their savior. That is to give them what only God is able to give. Here's one of the most beautiful fruits of grace. A heart that is content, more given to worship than demand, and more given to the joy of gratitude than the anxiety of want. It is grace and grace alone that can make this kind of peaceful living possible for each of us. Won't you reach out today for that grace? 
how do, we, how do we not lose God in the enjoyment of the blessings is to recognize and to remind ourselves and to realize that that blessing points us to a blesser. That gift points us to a giver. Always. It's having the eternal perspective that makes the difference. Jesus says in Luke 16, really sort of interesting passage. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Verse 10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you the property of your own? I think that, you know, there, there's, it's an interesting, that, the beginning there, where he says, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. And, and I think there's an understanding within them that for the kingdom of God, for the purposes of the kingdom of God, for the expansion of God's grace and love and mercy in the world. See, living means living for others. Riches are measured as well in good deeds and sharing with others. John Wesley, who was the founder of the whole Methodism movement, which out of that the Methodist church um, developed and came about, that he had a rule of conduct. And his rule of conduct was this, do all the good you can by all the means you can in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. That's a pretty good rule for life. You know, what, what we're all really looking for, I mean, it, whether people are following Jesus or not, I think humanity, creation, is looking for this life that is really life. And I've shared this quote, at least a couple of other messages of Jim Elliott. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. This is a, there's a surrender that when we surrender our life, which means that we surrender all that we have to Jesus for his purposes, there's a life that is greater. Winston Churchill said, we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. We started out in this journey or at the beginning of the month, the beginning of the year, with the, the simple prayer, Jesus, show me what I treasure. Did God reveal anything as you prayed that prayer? Anybody here? Was there, was there anything that God showed you about your life of, of where your focus was? Oh, bummer, nobody. Darn. Okay. Um, yeah, you can raise your hand. Makes me feel good. Jesus, show me what I treasure. God's faithful to answer our prayers. And then it was Jesus, make you my treasure. 
And then it was, Jesus, help me fix my eyes on you and on others. And then it was, Jesus, give me a heart to share your treasure. So the lesson for today, the lesson in this last one of this series of the treasure principle is this. I am blessed so that I can be a blessing. I am blessed so I can be a blessing. And the prayer is this. Jesus, it's a bold prayer. Jesus, bless me. Bless me more so that I can bless others more. Are you, do you have the courage to pray that prayer? Jesus, bless me more so that I can bless others more. Because here's where I, I can guarantee, if you pray that prayer, the guarantee where the Spirit is going to invite you into is this, is to begin by being more of a blessing that creates capacity for God's greater blessing on you. And that's going to require faith. That's going to require trust. That'll require seizing the day. Will you step in to that kind of life? Because God is faithful. He is so, so good. Always. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are good and that you are faithful. Thank you that your capacity for blessing is infinite. And it's infinitely beyond our capacity for being a blessing. And so that we have nothing to worry about. We have nothing to concern ourselves about of being provided by you be being provided for in our life and through our life. Lord, I pray that we this morning, that Cold Springs Church, that you would choose us, that you would choose us to bless in extraordinary measures, that we could be an extraordinary blessing in the world that we live, in the, in the community that we're a part of. Choose us. And Lord, I pray that you would choose the people in this room who've said yes to you for the same purposes. Choose us for your glory, for your purposes, for your mission in the world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.